welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, episode 130 for Saturday the 8th of December 2018. And once again, I've got lots of mixed news for you this week. I'm very much preparing to get ready to go to Spain. We've got less than two weeks left now. So I'm having a crazy time making sure that I've got crypto podcasts recorded and self-publishing journeys podcasts recorded for over the Christmas period. So everything will continue just as it normally would uh, over that period. But uh, I did want to just give you an indication of author income because I haven't really said much about this over the past few weeks. And the reason for that is that when you go wide, I have little bits coming in all over the place all of the time, which is quite nice. But it does make it hard to figure out what the heck you've been earning. And I thought actually the easiest way to do this was really just to give you two months worth of income in terms of what actually arrived in my business bank account. That was probably the easiest way to express it so that you got a feel for how things were going. So um, I'm going to give you two months, two, two complete months, because I can tell you what the payments are. And one of those months, um, I'm going to give you the months of October and uh, November. Is that right? Where are we now? Yes, October and November. Um, and you've got to remember that when I get paid for these months, I'm being paid for previous month's sales. So my October income reflects the fact that I had a Don't Tell Meg second book bub in August, and that that was a wide promotion, my first wide promotion. And then I'm also going to give you November income, which is, of course, September income. Now, my author income, so this is money that actually came into my account, minus everything. Um, in October, it was £5,271.95. So that clearly was a book, the BookBub promo. That was it. Uh, and it was wide. So that money was, I, I can't remember what the precise numbers are. That was as good as in, in month one. Of after the promo, that was as good as it was when I was Amazon exclusive. But what I noticed particularly is that in the second month, the month after that, the income dropped much faster than when I was in Amazon exclusive. Um, so I'll give you those numbers in a moment. But that October income was 5,271.95. And I, I had to check that, to be honest with you. I was totted it up. Now, um, I'm now that that's all the income from um, affiliate income, which isn't very much, uh, bits and pieces from Google, Kobo, and Stripe. So remember, I'm selling my own books now. I have constant small payments now um, from Stripe, which is when I'm selling books direct. And those payments come from free books that I give away. And again, it, it, you know, it's not a huge amount, but it's probably as much as I'm making on Google or one of the smaller uh, outlets. So it's been worth doing. Um, so the big checks there. I had uh, £2,048.50 from Draft to Digital. So that was made up of, uh, what was that? That was Barnes & Noble and Apple. So you remember I did really well on that promo with Apple. And then it also was 1307 94 from Amazon. 
So interesting that Draft the Digital created the big payment there. Remember, the surprise for me from that promo was that Barnes & Noble was way better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, and Apple actually was amazing. It was as good as um, Amazon. So, you know, all, all very interesting income. Now, in the month after that, there's a significant drop. Now, you would expect there to be a significant drop because, um, you know, you get a lot of traffic and a lot of throughput from a book bub. But um, I would say... I think my previous experience of having the book bub on Don't Tell Me when I was an Amazon exclusive was that you had that really good month, first of all, and then it, it kind of halved the next month. The income kind of roughly halved. Well, it was it was less than that. And I would say that it took, um, although the Amazon income was reasonably consistent, I would have to tell you that the Apple, the Google, the Kobo, the Barnes & Noble income, that just like drops off the edge. Um, after the book bub, it doesn't hang around for very long. So I, I do get a sense that Amazon is stickier, that when you have a book bub, if you're Amazon exclusive, it does have a longer long tail effect on the income. So income in November was £1,344.6. So that's, you know, it's about a quarter, isn't it? Which is not so good. So, you know, um, Clearly, that 5,000 month is the kind of month you want to be having. But also, you know, a 1,344 month is also, you know, a useful, useful month to have. And then, of course, um, I then get the, the next kick coming along, which is from the grid, uh, because I had a book bub on the grid. And again, you know, earnings, earnings are up again because of the grid. I think, um, don't tell me it's actually still doing quite well. I'm going to have to take it off free very soon because it's time to I'm going to submit it for another book bub again in the new year when we're back from Spain so I need to take it off free fairly soon and um so that when I advertise it on book bub I can sort of honestly say there is a price differential I don't want to say it's perma free I want to say it's selling at whatever it is 399 $2.99 um and so therefore when I submit it to book bub they can see that it's actually a price reduction rather than being continually perma free so I am going to have to fix that um, and the reason why I haven't fixed it just yet is I've got a couple of promos coming up, which I'll talk to you about in a moment or two. Um, so, uh, you know, apologies that I haven't kind of been giving you regular income reports. I do want to just give you a kind of steer about how this is going. But you can see, you know, we're over, we're, we're pretty safely over £1,000 months now. Um, and, you know, before I started having book bubs, the, the months were hundred pounds a month something like that you know for a long time they were like that until I started getting the book bubs but now with the book bubs coming in you can have I've had a couple of five thousand pound months which are just amazing for cash flow you know the, the amount of money they put in the business so you say oh that's an edit you know that's a that's a cover it's just it's wonderful to have those months but also it's very helpful too to have months that are way over um, you know, a thousand pounds in your pocket. So, uh, I, I hope that just gives you a kind of clear indication as to where we're up to. Um, but it is much harder to kind of wrestle the beast that is author income when, when you're wide. There's just a lot more outlets and portals to take a look at. I just wanted to mention to you that the, if you use a WordPress site, the, long-awaited Gutenberg updates have just gone live. In fact, before I recorded this first thing this morning, I was a bit gung-ho and I installed the latest updates on 10, my 10 WordPress websites. Um, I know a lot of the advice is to wait and certainly with the ones that I run for other people, I will be waiting. But with my own 
uh, ones, I was quite happy to do it, to be honest with you. It hasn't caused me any problems. So I just wanted to just let you know about this if you are in WordPress. So in, in case you've missed what's been going on, they, they, they're basically deploying a new interface for WordPress. I hate it. I, I won't use it. It's going to have to change a heck of a lot before I use it. And they call it the, the Gutenberg interface or the block editor. And it doesn't work for me at all at any level. I just don't like it. Um, that's not just me being resistant. I just really think they've got it wrong uh, as, as a user interface. So that's neither here nor there. It doesn't matter because you can still use WordPress for the next two years. They're going to support it for two years. You can still use WordPress with the classic editor, the one that we're all used to. So I'm just basically going to go la, la, la for the next as, as long as I need to until they get this new block editor right because it I say it just doesn't work for me at any level it just completely disrupts my workflow and it's not the way I want to work in WordPress so I will continue to use the classic editor in WordPress um, and as I say that they've confirmed that that is going to be maintained for two years so we can actually go la 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 for two years with this um, and I still think that in two years, by the time we get to two years, if they haven't improved this new editor substantially so that people want to use it, I actually think we'll all be using things like Elementor or Optimize Press or Divi things. We'll just, we'll just navigate around it, I think. Uh, it, it, that's what I think the sort of community will do in WordPress. So anyhow, um, this morning, let me just tell you what my advice is with this. If you've got a WordPress site, if you install the plugin Updraft Plus, Updraft Plus, and that's free, you can pay for it, but it's free. And just do a site backup, install the classic editor plugin. Then if you're ready to, you might not feel ready to, but this is what I did today. It's exactly what I did today is I then took the version five, WordPress version five update. It went straight through. There was an update to do to classic editor plugin. I had a quick check around and nothing was broken. Now, the reason nothing was broken on my site is because I use two themes, Optimize Press and Thrive themes. They're paid for themes. That means that there is an incentive for the developers to make sure that they work properly um, with Gutenberg. I haven't seen any of my other plugins that have broken yet, but the most likely scenario is that you update Gutenberg and that things that you've got that were for free, usually it's stuff that's for free because there's no incentive for people to update them. Um, they, they, they might be the things that break the site. It won't be Gutenberg. Gutenberg won't break the site. It'll be your theme, which may be free, and maybe some free plugins that break the site. And there's going to be an element of catch up here that version five goes live, everybody realizes where the problems are, they fix them, and then you get an update. So that's all that is always going to happen. It's bound to. It's such a big changeover. But I, I just decided this morning, I tried it on two sites that have barely any content in at first. They were they both run on optimized press and thrive themes. There were no problems. And so bit by bit I kind of I did it for the least important websites I've got. Then finally, I did self-publishing journeys and uh, crypto news podcasts, which of course have loads of content on. They were the last two that I did, and it went completely smoothly for me. So that that's you know just to let you know, um, it was fine for me. I do expect some little snags. I expect that when I'm working in the sites, I'll probably find that something's broken and I might have to find replacement for a couple of plugins. But at a very basic level, I just installed version five. I'm using the classic editor. I'm not touching that block editor because I hate it. Um, and, and my life will just continue as normal. I expect maybe one or two little breakages along the way. Um, there might be some free plugins that I use that people will say, oh, I'm not going to maintain those anymore. There's no way of me making income from them. Uh, and that they, I might just have to replace those. But 
you know, the sky didn't fall in. I still have my WordPress sites. You won't really notice any difference if you're looking at them as a customer. And I can barely see the difference looking at them as a user. The only difference is when you go to edit a post now, it says block editor or classic editor because I've got that classic editor plugin installed. I've got a choice of the block editor and the classic editor. And I'm always going to use the classic editor until such point at which they get that new editor sorted. And it's something that I want to use. And if that doesn't happen, well, I can hang on for dear life for two years and use the classic editor until they stop maintaining it. But I still think, you know, I, I honestly, I, I might be wrong, but I, I think they've got it wrong with this blog editor. I, um, I'm, I'm fine with the concept of using a blog editor. That's absolutely fine. But I think they've got the delivery of it wrong. That's what I think they've got wrong. If you try writing a blog post in, in the blog editor, it's just a horrible experience. It just doesn't follow a kind of writing workflow. I mean, we should know we're writers, aren't we? It doesn't follow a writing workflow at any level for me. So, um, they're going to have to change it as far as I'm concerned. And they will. They've got plenty of time to change it. Um, and I suspect it might get to a point where I look at it one day and say, well, actually, they've done that. Now that's fine. That's great. I'll use it. Uh, but we're not there yet. That's all I'm saying. So use the classic editor plugin. Make sure you've got a backup. And then I know some people are advising to wait a couple of versions of WordPress until you take the update. I just decided to go for it because I tried a few small sites, no problems. So I went, I went bigger and bigger and bigger until all 10 sites were done. None of them have given me a problem. Touch wood so far. Um, I had a, uh, you, you'll know that I was talking about uh, Kirsten Oliphant's podcast, which is um, really good. It's called Create If Writing. And a particular episode that I was listening to, which is how to use paid promotions in a book launch. Excellent episode. I think it was 142 episode, 142, I think. Yes, 142 of Creative Writing. I, this episode's so good. I've listened to it twice now and I'm probably going to back and listen, uh, go back and listen to it again. It's just one of the best kind of podcast episodes I've heard in terms of practical advice for regular authors. You, you really must give it a listen if you haven't so far, you know, unless you're uh, uh, Mark Dawson who reached, was it a million dollars? earnings in a year this year absolutely phenomenal how you know how amazing is that for an indie author um but you know unless you're you're mark dawson who that won't be of any interest to probably um then that it's a really good blog or podcast episode to listen to so um inspired by what kirsten was saying i just have booked a load of promos for the grid one and don't tell meg while they're free so I had an e-reader news today promo this week. I've never used e-reader news today, actually. Um, it hasn't been on my radar at all. Uh, not very expensive. Kirsten's uh, strategy is to use generally, I think, promo sites that are less than about $50. She does occasionally go over that, but generally they're cheap sites. And um, it was fine. Um, very happy with it. Uh, it gave me on the day. I mean, it's nothing like, let's be clear about this, it's nothing like BookBub. BookBub is a at the moment, the Holy Grail. That's the one you need to work for if you can get it. But that doesn't mean that these other sites aren't helpful. So um, I got 564 downloads on promo day. So, you know, just over 500, nearly 600 um, free downloads of Don't Tell Meg from e-reader news today. Now, I know that there is a certain amount of read-through when people get book one. That's how I make my money when I promote uh, Don't Tell Meg on BookBub. So I, I, I'm fairly confident of my read-through or a, or a le- enough read-through with those books, even though I couldn't tell you what the percentage is because I'm evil and haven't calculated it yet. But um, you know, I, can, I know there's a read-through, a good enough read-through when I give a load of books away for free that it will generate some income. And at the moment, when I'm recording this, my 
book report uh, isn't playing ball. It won't give me my numbers. They're stuck on something um, around the, the time of that promo, actually, just after the promo. So I can't tell you whether it's done anything for earnings or not, but at least we've put another 564 books out into the world via e-reader news today. So I've booked uh, loads of promos. I just uh, thought, you know, I'm going to give this a try. So I've booked promos on Free Booksy, which you know I like, Book Barbarian, Fussy Librarian, The Books Machine, Kindle Nation Daily. Um, I've just booked a load of promos. None of them are expensive. They're nothing like a, a book bub. They're $20, $20, $30, $40, you know, fairly cheap promos. And I've got these running. Um, some of them are, are running before Christmas. So what have I got? Uh, I've, I've got so many promos at the moment. I also loaded up with Kobo promos. So I'll tell you what I've got written on my planner at the moment. Um, this, these may or may not be completely accurate. But on Monday the 10th, I've got the grid on Book Barbarian. I've got a promo on Kobo. This is one of Kobo's promos that I've paid for, a £6 one, because um, these seem to shift a lot of books. For the grid again, that's on Monday. I've got a Kindle Nation Daily promo on Wednesday 12th. I, I think, I know this is terrible, I'd have to check my paperwork, but I think I did one for both books, Don't Tell Meg and the grid one. On Thursday 13th, I've got a Don't Tell Meg free booksy promo plus a fussy librarian uh and then what else have i got oh on wednesday the 19th i'll talk to you about book sweeps in a moment i've got a book sweeps promo and then i have a couple booked for the new year because i couldn't get dates so uh where is my other ones i'm sure i got some of the new year i can't find them now oh the grid um i've got a, a grid promo in the new year on the 9th of january i think that's kindle nation daily I think that's what that one is. So basically loads of promos. Uh, they haven't cost a fortune, maybe $200, something like that. Uh, but I just wanted to load up with a load of promos and just give things a try. So I have. Interestingly, by the way, um, I got knocked back by my book cave this week. What was I promoting? Don't tell Meg. And yeah, they knocked me back. So that was interesting. I can't remember whether I've used my book cave or not before. But, um, yeah, they didn't want to advertise me. I don't know whether that's... I, I'm beginning to wonder whether my line on Don't Tell Meg, which is just be careful who you sleep with, whether that's what put Facebook off or whether that's what pe putting people off. You know, I, I don't think that's... It's not too... It's not naughty, is it? I think it's just... I don't know. I think it just kind of promises what's what's in the book. I don't, I don't think that's offensive anyway, is it? But um, I was beginning to wonder whether that puts people off, whether they think it's something that it's not. Um... Anyhow, anyhow, that's just by the by. So lots of promos, basically, is the bottom line of what I was saying there. I released my end of November monthly email. Was it last Sunday? Whatever it was, fairly recently. And so I've done, what's that? It's my 11th this year. I've managed to keep this up for a year. It was Queeve McDonald who suggested that I do these more personalised emails. They're going extremely well for me. I just wanted to let you know that I'm putting those now on a page uh, at selfpublishingjourneys.com forward slash my monthly emails and the, the words are hyphenated. But if you look at the menu, you'll see a direct link to it. If you want to have a look at my monthly emails, so you've got 11 there now, soon to be 12, um, and just get a feel for what I'm doing with those emails. And I can tell you what's working really well. It's working well for, for people who read my emails, but it, it's also working really well for me that when I ask questions as an author, um, really related to books, I get some brilliant answers from from my list. So th this in this email, 
I had the headline, is this the best ending ever? And I, I put a video at the top of the page saying that for my money, the best ending of a TV series ever was in, um, what's it called? Six Foot Under, which was a, it's quite an old t- TV series now, but it was, it was the best se- series ending ever. And this is from somebody who'd been frustrated by the end of Sopranos. And I always loved the X-Files, but the problem with the X-Files is, is they, they just kept, leaving loose ends they never tied anything up it was incredibly frustration there was never any resolution sort of in the x-files as far as i can see uh in the new series there still isn't you know i just want some loose ends tied up i just need to know what's going on by all means open some new ones but close some old ones and in six foot under if you'd followed the series for was it six or seven seasons it was just a brilliant ending absolutely brilliant and i was just talking about this and saying to people my question was um, how do you like stories to end on a cliffhanger on a note of mystery do you like everything sewn up neatly and I've had some brilliant replies um, I just keep getting brilliant replies to these kind of book related questions and I am going to turn them into um, sort of blog posts at some point probably maybe over new year when I'm in Spain that's a sort of nice sit in front of the telly in the evening kind of job to do uh, or I'm tired because I've been walking all day kind of job you know that it's that kind of a job so um, I will turn a couple of these into blog posts because the answers and the responses have been so good but I just wanted to recommend it to you as a strategy um, as an author it's the perfect thing is to ask your readers questions and I ask them I mean I'm getting really good data here for my writing um, you know it's very clear again from the answers I've had here that people like their endings sewn up they don't like cliffhanger endings and if they do have cliffhanger endings they've given me lots of detail about the context in which they'll accept them but the other one that was really interesting was when I said uh, as an English writer, would you prefer me to write in UK English or US English? And again, the resounding response was, I want you to write in UK English. A couple said US, but most of them wanted UK English. So I'm just finding this uh, a revelation. And it's such a great way because I'm replying to everybody who gets back to me. I'm sending a personal reply. And in terms of this concept, I don't know whether you've heard it of, of is it 100 true fans, 1,000 true fans? Maybe it's 1,000 true fans. This concept that you can actually run a creative business. It must be 1,000, mustn't it? This, that you can run a creative business if you've got 1,000 um, fans who buy everything you do. It, it, with that concept... Um, you know, I've never had as many conversations with people on email as a respect in respect to a marketing email that I've sent out as I have since I've been doing these emails. So they're working really well for me. Um, if you want to check them out, um, again, you know, they're on selfpublishingjourneys.com. Just look in the top right hand corner. You'll see a link to my monthly emails, but the URL is selfpublishingjourneys.com forward slash my monthly emails with a hyphen between each of those words. The other thing that I'll do, I'll pop this on the show notes, the the kind of, yeah, the show notes for this week, is um, to collect emails now for sci-fi and for thrillers. I'm actually using MailerLite's landing pages. They they let you fairly easily design what I think are really nice pages, actually. And I, I like these pages so much that in preference now, I'm actually using these as my incentive to sign up for my list. So I, I've got one for thrillers. And I've got one for sci-fi. And I just wanted to show you those. I'll put the links on this week's show notes uh, so that you could just see what I've built. They're very easy to build, but they look really nice. And for my money, you know, those are great kind of lead capture pages. Um, The other thing, the way you build them is I've also got some little promos 
to, to promote books for sale as well. Um, but that's just a little feature in MailerLite. Um, I know the jury seems to be out with MailerLite at the moment. Um, I saw, I think it was Adam Croft the other day was part of a conversation on one of the forums. Um, basically, I think he's moved out of MailerLite and in, back into MailChimp pending a, uh, a sort of a, a permanent solution. ConvertKit for me is a bit, is a bit expensive still compared to MailerLite and MailChimp. I, th- uh, I did use ConvertKit. Um, it must, it must have been maybe two years ago. It was a while ago. Um, and I, so I used ConvertKit and they had growth problems, but much like MailerLite have had recently. So ConvertKit, I think were trying to scale up. They had a lot of users and I actually had, I, I was with them and I was trialing them. I had loads of outages where it didn't send emails and the system crashed and things like that. Now I haven't heard any moans about ConvertKit. So I'm assuming that they've got through those teething problems. Now MailerLite also had a teething problem recently. Um, they've had a couple. Number one, they had, I think they had their Facebook, um, business page. I think it was just wiped by Facebook. Now that's more Facebook's issue. It goes back to the problem I had with my advertising. They just, I don't know why they're just culling people randomly and, and not even asking or raising any questions. So I don't know what this is about, but you know, can you build a business on something as erratic as Facebook if they behave like that? I mean, that's, it's just atrocious. I, mean, I follow MailerLite on Facebook. What earth could they do that's offensive? What earth could MailerLite do that's offensive? All I see them doing is sharing great blog content. So, but they had their business page pulled without warning and they've had to build something new. Now, they also had a, a teething problem. And this actually, this was a really important one. The reason that you should never manage your own mail server, and I have tried this very briefly and ran a mile from it, is it's very complicated. So if I have a domain name called paultig.com and I manage my own email server for paultig.com, if people start reporting me as a spammer or, and you know what it's like, people do that anyway, whether you're legitimate emailing or not, they just get fed up, they mark you as spam and they shouldn't mark you as spam, but they do. And if you get enough of that kind of complaint, if you own your own server, then your server, your domain gets blacklisted. I, I don't hugely understand this, but I get the principles of it. In which case, your mails won't get delivered. So you should, in my opinion, unless you've got huge resources and great expertise within your company, you do not manage email from your own mail server. Instead, you let somebody like MailChimp, Get Response, Aweber, convert kit You let somebody take the strain for you because it is their sole job to make sure that the servers don't get blacklisted and that your emails get delivered properly. Now, in the case of MailerLite, and this is a, this was really important, which is why I think um, it's not people's confidence, is one of their servers, so they did hold up their hands to this, one of their servers got blacklisted, and so a lot of mail wasn't getting delivered. Now, this is an occupational hazard with email marketing. It's why I got thrown off MailChimp once and they said, it's nothing personal. We just don't like your model. And, and, and whilst that was frustrating at the time, I understand that with MailChimp because they absolutely, well, it goes back to what I said to you about book funnel promos. Um, when you're MailChimp, the kind of pub you get depends on who you let in. And what they were saying to me was, look, there's, you're not doing anything particularly wrong, but we, we just don't like your model. Your model gets us into trouble. So we'd like you to leave 
Thank you very much. So they're they're creating the kind of pub environment, if you want to call it that, that they want on Mailchimp, and I, I absolutely kind of endorse that view, particularly as they emailed me first and let me manage it, which is all I want Facebook to do. Um, they emailed me first. We we managed my exit. They let me back up my data, and that's absolutely fine. I have no problem with that at all. They make the rules. It's their service. But that's how they make sure that their servers don't get blacklisted. It's really important that you throw people off who are getting spam complaints and things like that. And MailChimp do very proactively do that, which is why their deliverability is good. Now, I don't know what happened with MailerLite, but they ended up with a server that that got blacklisted. It's a very complicated you know, issue not to get blacklisted. And when you do get blacklisted, to take that off. And, and MailerLite clearly had to deal with that. But I think that's what knocked confidence with MailerLite a bit. Now, I can tell you that um, I think the price is great at MailerLite. I don't like this new editor they've got. They, I try. I wish people had stopped messing around. I, I tell you, one of my big bugbears at the moment, and it's with software companies, and, and, and you know, Facebook always did this, and it's it goes to what they've done with WordPress too. Is people change stuff, but they don't ask people first. The, the easiest thing in the world for for WordPress to have done before they went lock, stock, and barrel into this big Gutenberg change that they've just done. That was in one of the releases of the software was to put a survey in the admin area and to say we're thinking of changing. Uh, WordPress in the future and then to do a survey and then it got millions of replies back and, and then you know they could have said you know do you need a new editor if we made a new editor uh, what kind of editor would you like you know what kind of plugins do you use to improve the editing interface just ask the audience I call it ask the audience just like on who wants to be a millionaire just ask the audience they'll tell you what they want and it's the same with MailerLite. They're about to change their editor. So you've got the beta editor available at the moment and you've got the old editor. And I've tried the beta editor a couple of times. I just don't like it. I, I don't think it's good. I don't like it. I like the old one. The old one works fine, thank you. And I just think, why? I'll tell you what I want MailerLite to do. I want MailerLite uh, at the bottom of the page to have a little link there. And I to- I've told them this over a year ago when I started using it. Why don't you have a link to let people update their email address if they want to? You can't do that on MailerLite at the moment. If I if I change my email on, on MailChimp, there, it says at the bottom of the email, it says unsubscribe or something like update my information. On MailerLite, you could only unsubscribe. It doesn't have update my information. And so here they are. They put all this energy and effort into building a new editor, which I don't like, I'm afraid. And it's not just me being resistant to change because I tried it. You know, I try everything. I tried it. And I don't like it. Um, I don't think it works. Um, and the existing one does. It works. Uh, you know, so why didn't they ask people? Why did, you know, why, why didn't they say, are there any problems with the old editor? You know, I, I didn't get asked that as a customer. And what I can't understand with these companies is why they change stuff when people don't want it and weren't even asking for it. And what I do want on MailerLite is a little button on my emails that lets people just change their email if they want to. To me, that's the most basic thing on earth. Yet here we go, must be hundreds of, of work hours gone into creating an editor that I don't like. And that might end up making, if they force it on me, they might then make me say, do you know what? I'll go to MailChimp, thank you. It's a lot quicker for me to create my emails there. So that, that is a little bit of a rant, but it frustrates the life out of me. Um and and I don't know what it is. I, I was speculating about it. You know, I was wondering: is it because a lot of people who are in tech have never kind of worked in a in a co- corporate environment? You know, in a corporate environment, you don't just change stuff. You talk to people about it. If you've got any sense, you ask your audience about it. You do audience research first and see what people want, and then you tell them it's coming, and then you let them test it, and and you manage the change. 
and and it's change management that these sites don't seem to do effectively at all. They just drop it on you from a great height. When you didn't want it, you weren't asking for it, and it completely disrupts your workflow. And I was just speculating about why that is. And I mean, it's, it's tiring everybody with the same brush, isn't it? Saying, well, is it because they don't have corporate experience? They've kind of always worked for themselves in tech and they don't maybe don't have experience of these processes. But I have to say, a lot of, of these projects are managed very badly, I think. Um, and, you know, it's like the prolific works change. There's another example, prolific works change. Um, did we want it? Were we asking for it? Are there other things we'd have preferred beforehand? The answer to that is, you know, we weren't asking for it. We did, I, I don't think we particularly wanted it. And yes, there are other things you could do that are more important than changing your name. So, you know, there, there's another example of it. So this is something we just have to live with, I think, when we're using other people's tech. And we can vote with our feet if we don't like it. Um, that's really the bottom line. And I know that some people are voting with their feet with Mailerlite. Now, this rant began with me telling you that I actually really like their pages for leads capture. So I will end this mini rant by telling you that those links will be on the show notes for this week's program, this week's podcast. And if you want to take a look at those, please do so. But I, you know, I like them and I hope they don't, I hope they don't mess it up because I'm happy with it as it is at the moment. I like the email builder. I've been very happy with it for one, two years. I've been using MailerLite. You know, I'm happy with the delivery. Um, the only thing I want on MailerLite, and I have told them this, the feature request, please let me update my details, uh, directly from one of the marketing emails I've sent out. At the moment, people have to email me to ask me to change their email. It's the 21st century, guys. No one should have to email me to ask to change their details. Anyhow, stop ranting about that, Paul. Okay, so um, I told you that I've been dealing with Google reps um, to try and, you know, I've got these ads running on Google or, or they're, they're sort of paused and running on a low, they're running on a low budget at the moment. Cause I had a, I had a, a session with one of the reps and I, I looked at the numbers. I was getting loads of numbers, but they were all from India. Well, I, you know, the India book prices are lower than I'm charging and I, I don't want, you know, I want to, get my books into India and I do often very often price strategically in India but I'm not paying there's no margin for me if I sell books at my Indian prices on Google so I just I block that country did some tweaks and the traffic slow now so I need another session with the Google reps and I was due to have one this afternoon um, about four o'clock ish and then apparently they've got some kind of election going on in India today she, she cancelled me to, to 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 postpone it and I now, with my crazy getting ready for Spain schedule, I can't fit them in now until after New Year. So the Google stuff is paused until the New Year. That's really just to let you know where we are with that. But I do have, I am letting it run. I'm not getting a lot of joy off it, but I am letting it run at the moment um, in a very quiet way, just trying to do what they told me but not to get all the clicks from India because they're no use to me at all. So I'm retargeting it in New Zealand, Australia, Canada, uh, you know, UK, USA, the, the kind of um, places where I can sell at full price. But I, I'll, you know, that's a, a, a bubbling under. That will just keep ticking along that one. Um, I don't know about you, but I've got access to the new KDP Select dashboard. I have to say I'm not using it at the moment. And I did wonder whether that's why I've been having these problems with... Um, book reports, my book reports just been kind of stalled for ages. Now I'm just going to refresh my memory about this new sort of interface. And I know we've been kind of after it for ages. Well, that's a nuisance. Excuse me. I'm just going to lean over and get my phone, but I, I have two step verification on my KDP account so that it, you know, it can't get kind of hacked. 
and um, I've just logged in after some time and it wants an authentication number. So here you go, it's come on my mobile now. Let me just type this in so I can see the new interface and then I can tell you what I think of it. Um, I, I know it was, I know it's an improvement, but it's still not really what we're after, I don't think, is it? Um, that was my feeling when I looked at it the other day. So in my Kindle Direct Publishing interface, right at the top of the page now, it says, you try the new KDP reports beta. So if you're lucky, you'll have that. I'm in the UK, remember. And then I, I get this, um, I, it's much better, to be honest with you. It's much more visual. I get to see which books are selling, how many of each book I've sold. I can track my breakdown. I can see which countries I'm selling in. But it, it's still not really quite there, is it? I, I don't know about how you feel about it. It's still not book report. Um, I, I kind of want to... I like book report. It works well, doesn't it? I want to see a pie chart. Um, I kind of just want to easily see how much I made today, how much I made yesterday, how much I made this month. Whereas um, you, know, you can customise it on Amazon, but I don't want to be clicking buttons all the time. You know, BookFuddle does the timescales the way you want to do them. So in Amazon, I could look at the last seven days, the last 30 days or the last 90 days. But in actual fact, I want to see this month and last month because that lets me know what I'm going to be earning. I could roughly then estimate what money's coming in from month to month. So it's, it is an improvement. But again, Amazon, why aren't you surveying us? Why haven't you asked us what we want in this dashboard? Because my impression is, and maybe they did survey people. Let, let me know if you were surveyed. I, I certainly wasn't. But my impression is, if you just ask the audience, they'll tell you what they want. And then you can improve some fantastic, you can create this fantastic interface. Uh, and we'll never need to go anywhere else. We won't need book report and things like that because Amazon are doing such a great job within their, their own dashboard. But at the moment, that doesn't really work for me. It's a bit prettier. I can see stuff that I already know. That I sell most books in the United States, then the United Kingdom. After that, it's Canada and Australia. And then after that, it really drops off. It's not nothing really particularly significant. I can see that my best-selling book is Don't Tell Meg. And the grid one is after that now, having, having sort of had the promos on them. I kind of know that. <laughs> I know that. I don't need that interface to tell me. What I want is my my book report to work. That's really what, what I want. So my book report is probably still spinning around and around if I, if I take a look at that. Um, so yeah, I don't think they've quite got it yet. In, in, my, in my opinion, it's nicer, but we're not there yet with the new interface, but do check it out. See if you've got it and you might find that interesting. Uh, another link I'm putting on the show notes this week is, uh, you know that Simon Magus is creating music and soundscapes around my secret bunker trilogy and he's really got a pace on now he's, he's getting loads of these done well I, i'm delighted to say that because i've been promoting these on twitter and i've put them on youtube um simon kind of is, is a bit quiet he's not really a, he doesn't really sort of push his work out there very much um but he's been working with two other guys who've been doing some sound effects for me they've been these it's just this is just like amazing um, the, the, these friends of his, I think one of them is um, near uh, an oil refinery or something in Scotland. And the other one, I can't remember what he lives near. Is it a nuclear place or something? I don't know. But the, but these guys um, are also sort of similar sound effects recording guys. And they've been recording sirens and industrial noises for Simon that he's adding to his mixes. And so that they've kind of inspired by my project now. I mean, this is really nice, isn't it? I'm really flattered by this. They've got together... 
and they're calling themselves Moonbase Alpha. Now, for those of you who don't like sci-fi, Moonbase Alpha was the name of the the, the Moonbase, uh, as, as the title suggests, in Space 1999, which is a Jerry Anderson TV series from the 70s, which I loved as a kid. I absolutely loved it. And uh, Jerry Anderson is the guy who created Captain Scarlet and Thunderbirds. He's probably what most of you will know throughout the world. So they've they've created a nice logo. They've called it Moonbase Alpha, and they've created a SoundCloud feed now where they're they're putting this project work, and it's their kind of team area. They're putting their own project work, and they're putting my secret bunker work too. So it's got a really cool uh, logo, and it's got a SoundCloud area, and I'll put the link to that for you. I will put that um, on the show notes for this week. But uh, you know, Simon said, you know that you've inspired that. You're re- reading your book, getting excited by the book, writing the music around it, and then you doing promotion and making me think, you know, what, I should promote this stuff properly. Um, you know, I'm responsible for all of this. So it's me to blame. Sorry, everybody. It's me to blame. But you know, I think it's fantastic. And and kind of whether it's your thing or not, you know, I understand that the music and the, and the soundscapes won't be for everybody. I actually think that when you hear it in context with actors' voices, I think it's going to be amazing. I, I think that if you don't naturally like the kind of synthy music and stuff, you'll say, mm, not sure about that. But when you hear it with the voices, I think it's all going to make perfect sense. And I was talking to Simon. If you can remember the Flash Gordon film from, I think it was the 1980s. It must have been early 80s that film was released. And Queen did the soundtrack. And if you've ever heard Queen's soundtrack, they they didn't want to just have kind of music from the film because it's incidental music most of the time. It doesn't really make much sense out of context. So Queen, very cleverly, I think then, they took extracts of audio from the film. So when you listen to the album, it makes sense. It tells the story. And that's what I'm envisaging. envisaging in, I, that's what I foresee. <laughs> I can't say it. Um, that's what I think that Simon will create from this. You'll get actors um, taking lines from the books, and they'll and the music will stitch the scenes together, and it will move you through a briefer version of the story. That, that's what I, I can't say, envisage. Envisage. That's what I envisage will happen with this project. But anyhow, it's all very exciting. And if you want to keep up with it, I'll put the link to the SoundCloud account on the show notes for this week. Something else I got from Kirsten Oliphant's podcast episode, and uh, yeah, again, this is one of these things that I'm going to steer you very directly to. It's not going to be a, an if or a maybe. It's going to be a listen to this podcast episode. It's going to be a, a Teague strong steer. You need to listen to Kirsten's podcast episode. I'll put it on the show notes again this week so you don't have to go hunting for it. But another tip I got from Kirsten was she uses something called booksweeps.com to, to build her list. Now, I haven't used book sweeps before. I, I, I can't even remember whether I've heard of book sweeps before. I must have done, must I? But I, I haven't used it before. And I've booked, I'm sure I've booked, I've certainly booked one uh, list building event around Don't Tell Meg. And that's going to run on the 19th of December. Uh, and and it, this is about building a list. So basically, they send out promos to uh, an email list. Um, and I think they've got other outlets, but primarily they're sending out to an email list. It's like BookBub, but the difference is on BookBub, they buy your book or they get the book for free. With book sweeps, you send them to your, well, I'm sending them to my, um, what's it called? My book funnel. Is it book funnel? I'm sending them to my book funnel downloads. So they, they, they say get, get a book free. It goes to my book funnel page. Because of GDPR, I can't force them to 
to sign up for my page. But from that, a certain number of people who get my book for free will join my list. And Kirsten had said that she, she does very well from this. She's in a different genre for me. I think she's in sweet romance. Uh, but I thought, well, let's try this. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try Booksweek's promo for my thrillers and for my sci-fi and see if it works. Uh, you know, it's the best way. Tr- try it. See if it works. And that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, I've got some quite, I don't know how radical they are, but I've got some quite radical changes coming up with podcasts. And I'll give you more details about this when you get my kind of quarter, uh, quarter four reviews and my 2019 and quarter one, uh, goals previews that they'll be coming up over Christmas and New Year. Um, but, I have told you, I think I've already told you that the weekly interviews for self-publishing journeys, they're going to end on the 7th of January. So I've kind of come back to them. You've had weekly episodes again. I've been putting extracts from the interviews into my Patreon account, but um, I got some pretty ambitious plans for writing in 2019. I'm not going to tell you what they are just yet. You'll hear those over Christmas and New Year. Um, but they are quite ambitious and I want to strip out the things that take a lot of time, but don't bring in a direct income. So I'm going to stop doing weekly interview episodes. A couple of reasons for that. One is that everybody to a man and a woman, when they talk to me about the podcast, they say, I love the podcast diary. Um, they kind of accept the interviews, but they, if people infuse to me, uh, they tell me I love the podcast diary. That's what people love about this podcast. And it's like everybody, everybody says it. If they ever talk about the podcast, say I love the podcast diary. I think, you know, no, if, if anybody said anything at all, they always say that to me, you know, virtually, I'm not going to say a hundred percent of the time, but it's at least, you know, 90% of the time. So this is a bit like ask the audience, what I was saying earlier. So what are the audience telling you? They're telling you that they like the podcast diary best. Now I feel that the podcast there is the unique bit about what I've done on this podcast. That's the bit that no one else is kind of doing. Um, people tend to do reports when they, they're making thousands. And the reason I did it was because no one was doing it when I did it. I wanted somebody who was in the trenches, who was struggling to be very honest about what was going on at, at their level, because I think I couldn't get that information from anywhere. That's why I did it. Pleased to say that lots of other people have begun to do that now. Um, but at the time I started, people weren't doing that. So I feel that you can get the interviews anywhere. Now, clearly, um, I always feel that interviewees are like teachers in that you can line up 10 teachers in a room and they can all teach, but there are only so many teachers that you will resonate with and love. Some teachers you'll hate, you'll hate their style, you'll hate their personality, some you can take or leave, and some that you will love and they will inspire you and you'll resonate with them. And that's the same with podcast presenters. You know, some you'll hate, some you won't care about, and some you'll love. That's just the way it is. It's just people responding to people. So when I do interviews with people, um, I guess I, I bring my own style and personality to the interviews. But there are hundreds of other people out there doing podcasts, interviewing ind- independent authors. Now, um, so that's something that's not unique that I'm offering. I'm you, you, My style, I guess, is unique, but the the actual offering is not unique. The interviews also take a lot of time, um, you know, to book people up, to manage it, to research, to create pages for people, you know, to record and edit them. That that takes a, a lot of time. And that's time that I want to put into writing in 2019. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm jettisoning the weekly interviews. I'm maintaining this podcast diary because it's very easy for me to do it, fits beautifully into my week, and it's what people tell me that they value most. Something else has changed this week, actually, that has kind of just confirmed this in my mind. Um, my The kids kind of don't need us anymore. So we have, we've got one child at home, but the, that child is off at university with a sibling at the moment. So it's just me and my wife in the house at the moment. Uh, so, you know, two of them are off at university. One of them you know, is, is inverted commas of school age, though being homeschooled and, you know, goes off with textbooks to see siblings and has freedom of travel and freedom of movement now. So as, as kind of parents, as we're not, I say we're not needed. Of course, of course we're still needed, but you know, our day-to-day duties uh, are not there like they used to be when the kids were tiny. So we, we've got more sort of time freedom now. So um, my wife this week has changed her working schedule. Uh, she's taken on more hours. So I, it was always our choice when we had kids that my wife uh, wasn't going to work. Uh, you know, that was our personal choice. Um, and that obviously put more pressure on me to bring the money in, of course, um, which I felt during self-employment. You've heard me say it in these diaries uh, as, as uh, the, the sole kind of main breadwinner, if you want. But that was our choice. That's how we wanted to do things. And um, so my wife, when the kids were at school, worked term time part-time, which meant that she was always there to see the kids off. She was always there to pick the kids up and she was always there during summer holidays. So it worked really, really well for us. And it's worked, uh, she's done that for years now. Um, but actually she could do more hours now. And if she does more hours, that means I could spend more hours doing what I do to try and buy us both that kind of geographical freedom um, and salary freedom that is my goal is my my goal you know me and my wife can travel and neither of us has to go into a job we're not based on a job we just work on the internet that's what my goal is in all of this um so she um had the opportunity to just increase hours this week and uh, and she got that job and uh, it's it's like a contract basically so she's got her core hours which are the part-time term time work that she does and she's got this extra contract which gives her more hours um and and it's i think it's a year primarily but basically it means that from when we get back from Spain, our schedule will change. But it changes in a way that gives me more writing days. So it means that on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, I can now sort of write without distractions in the house. My wife will be, she's still part time, but she'll be out in those hours, those core hours when I can write. So the opportunity for writing time has just gone up. Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, I can now write. So I could actually, I'm going to try, and again, I'm not going to go into detail of this now, but I'm going to try and write more and more frequently next year. I don't know how that will go, and I'll talk to you more about it when I'm setting the goals um, for 2019. But I want to write more, and I want to clear the decks of things that aren't making me money. Now, I've said to you, you've heard me say this on earlier diaries, that if you do an activity that costs you money and doesn't make money, then it's a hobby. And I'm going to downgrade the podcast to hobby level. Okay. So my expectations of it are going to be reduced. So I always ran the podcast because I hoped it would be, um, you know, a reasonable source of income, uh, that it would be part of my portfolio as an author. But, um, although it has, it brings in a small income, 
it's not a life changing income. And frankly, I'm making more from the books at the moment. You know, being able to write the books and have books in, in bookbub promos, that, that's where I'm making my money at the moment. I have done since October of 2017, albeit in a fits and starts way. That's where the income is coming from. And as I told you last week, old books, the grid one is responsible. You know, marketing old books I've already written has brought in great income this year. So by downgrading, downgrading the podcast to hobby level, what I mean is, is that when it's a business, you've never heard me skip an episode, right? I don't skip episodes. I haven't done for three years. That's a business. I don't miss an episode. I always, always make sure that, um, if I say there's going to be an episode there, there will be an episode there. And there always has been for three years. Um, you know, whether I've been ill, whether I've been away, you know, it's why I'm recording so crazily at the moment because I've promised episodes. I've set up an expectation. Those episodes will be there. Uh, come what may, those episodes will be there. Um, so that's what happens when you run it like a business. You know, people know they can rely on you. There'll always be a podcast episode there. When I run it as a, sorry, my chair click there. Um, when I run it as a hobby, it means that I, I do it more to please myself, you know, rather than as a business. Now, I will do the diaries every week. They will continue. So it, it will, you know, it will be run in a business-like way. But I'm je- I'm jettisoning the things that sort of don't make money and don't make sense um, when you think that I could be, when you think how many hours I spend um, processing the interview podcasts, I want to put that time into writing in 2019. So, I, I, you will get occasional interview episodes, but they're going to be done entirely based on my interest. So at the moment, it's like I have an interview every week. I have to find a guest every week. And all I'm saying now is, you know, forgetting the interview episodes, there's no expectation of one a week. If I find an author who's doing something amazing, I want to talk to them as much for my own purposes as, as, you know, to share that information. I'll record it. I'll drop it into the feed, but there'll be no fixed schedule for that. It will be done on what I call an editorial basis. If there's a really good reason to talk to that author, I'm excited about talking to them because they're doing something I want to know more about. I'll record that interview as much for my own interest as, as everybody else's, and it will drop into the self-publishing journey's feed. So that's how the interviews are going to work for, for the foreseeable future. Now, if I got sponsorship for the podcast, you know, that paid me for my time, or if the numbers got so strong that, it, you know, I was able to make more income from it, and therefore it was a paid job of work, then I would be back to those interviews like a shock. Because, you know, I've done a couple this week. I really enjoy doing the interviews. But this is simply a business time management decision. It doesn't pay enough. It takes too much time. I want to write my book, well, books. The books are what's making me the money. It's just a straightforward business decision. It's all there is to it, okay? Um, and, and, that, and that's why it's going. So uh, the diaries will continue. They will continue weekly. They won't become erratic or anything like that. They will be there every week unless I tell you otherwise, but they will be there every week because the diaries really serve me. You know, I love doing these diaries. I love reviewing what I'm doing. I find it helpful in my process. So they will continue until I you know, tell you otherwise, and they will be there every week on a Saturday morning, same time, regular as clockwork. That's my plan in 2019. But because my wife's schedule's changed, um, I want, I'm going to change my weekly schedule in 2019. I am still mulling that over a little bit about how that's going to work. But, um, you know, I'm considering, I've told you this already, I am considering, you know, I'm thinking about rapid release next year. Having more days to write means that I could drop rapid release even faster. Uh, I'm considering writing military sci-fi at the moment. And I'm also 
you you know sharp intake of breath here i'm also mulling over a collaboration would you believe did you ever think you'd hear me say that i'm mulling over a collaboration but you know if you're not having the success you want i think you have to consider what your blocks are you know what 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 am i doing to stop my success i could do the work we all know i could do the work but i'm not having the level of success that i want to have so i think you have to confront things that you're resisting and I've resisted collaboration a lot. So I, I will let you know I am mulling over a potential collaboration in the new year. I'm not going to say anything about it yet, and I won't say about it to, specifically until the new year if it comes off. But potentially, there might be a collaboration. So given that I'm doing rapid release, I am considering maybe writing in a different genre, military sci-fi. I might write in thrillers but I am going to try rapid release and the rapid release might be with the military sci-fi. It could certainly be with the thrillers because I've got so many lies, which I'm, I haven't even mentioned to you that I've just been working on this morning. I'm doing my edits on that. So I've been working on getting so many lies ready to send to a, an editor to, to get seen to. So that that's going to be the first launch of the thrillers. If I, then I can rapid re-release the standalones. And if I find it's working and generating good figures, I would very quickly take don't tell Meg off maybe put new covers on it or maybe even change the titles and re-release those too so i i could do a rapid re-release of my thrillers whether i write three new books or not i can still do rapid re-release of the thrillers so this is why i've begun to think well i, mm, I wonder if i should collaborate maybe do some military sci-fi and try rapid release in a, in a different genre given that i've already got the genre thrillers I could already do that without writing anything new. So this is these are my thought processes. I'll let you know when it comes to giving you my kind of objectives for quarter one 2019 and my overall objectives for 2019. I will try and tie that down a little bit more. But I have, I've got to tell you that the final decision will come uh, out in Spain, I think. When I've done all this work that I've got to do to go to Spain, I'll have three weeks in Spain, and that's probably where I'll make that final decision about what I'm going to be doing in the new year. So I am kind of keeping my options open a little bit at the moment. Just to let you know that I've got two book funnel giveaways going on at the moment. I, I love book funnel. The process of organising and managing this giveaway has been a breeze. There are a couple of things I'd like book funnel to do just to improve the process, but it ain't bad. It's absolutely fine. And at last count, I looked last night, I'd done, I got about 77 new subscribers from these giveaways. The giveaways end, I think it's 17th of, uh, of December. Um, so I won't know what the final tallies are, but it's good. Um, I've got 30 books in there. They're all completely genre specific. So I got a sci-fi one and a thriller one. I've been really, you know, really mean with the covers to make sure they all look great and they're all genre specific. Um, we're getting lots more activity than that 77 subscriber count, uh, uh, it gives you the impression of. So m- many more people have got the books, but remember with GDPR, we can't force people to sign up for our newsletter lists. So, um, you know, you always have more people actually accessing your book than you do have s- signing up for your list. So we'll have to see what the final numbers are, but I've been very happy with BookFuddle as, um, remember that I used to, I used to, build and maintain and set up my own giveaways before insta freebie or prolific works as they're now called and i keep remembering forgetting um i used to do my own giveaways 
on WordPress. And, and I found this very satisfactory. Somebody who could actually just go off and make my own, I found this very satisfactory. It works really well on BookFunnel. Very happy with it. So if you haven't held your own giveaway yet, uh, I do recommend it to you. And, um, don't worry because, uh, your giveaway will fill up. Don't just don't, when you set up your giveaway, you can say how many people you want to take part. Now I found with the giveaways I did that it makes more sense to get people who have a reasonable list size and I found 30 about my magic number. If you have too many books, people become overwhelmed and it dilutes it. So I found 30 books for 30 free books about the magic number for me. And I always was happy with the number of subscribers I got from that. So if you set up a giveaway in your genre, whatever that is, you make the rules, it's your giveaway. Um, limited at 30 books, you will fill it just uh, so long as you don't do it the week before, if you give it, if you give people a month's notice, you'll fill it from authors who just see it naturally within BookFuddle's infrastructure. So don't worry about, oh, will I be able to get anybody to fill it or not? You will. Um, BookFuddle's infrastructure will find you the authors to fill it. And when you get those authors, remember what I said about being strict, you know, be, make sure you get the covers of the genres you want. Uh, don't sort of feel like you have to take whatever comes because you will fill it. I fill both of mine in sci-fi and thrillers really easily. So I do recommend that you host at some point a book funnel giveaway. No tech required these days. It's very simple in book funnel if you've got that functionality in your account. A couple of people to mention from Twitter. Uh, Tim Lewis was in a uh, London high street. I think it's a London high street um, and it's raining which is why I go to Spain at this time of year, because the skies are always grey in the UK. Well, to be fair, you do get the odd lovely uh, autumn day, but it's largely grey uh, all winter in the summer. And uh, I don't like that. I like to get some sunshine, which is why I'm going to Spain. So uh, thank you for, for tweeting that, uh, Tim. And uh, also Edwin Downward tweeted me, um, Edwin, what is that pile of muck in your garden? Um, Edwin shifted muck of some kind. And uh, he was listening to my podcast. And I don't know what a pile of manure, I don't know what about a pile of manure made you think about my podcast, Edwin. Uh, hopefully they're not connected. But he was listening to my podcast while he was shifting that kind of, you know, that, that pile of muck in the garden. But if you want to see either of those photos, they will be at selfpublishingjourneys.com. They'll be on the show notes for this page. And speaking of Mr. Edwin Downward, I know he's a bit nervous about this because he, he's a bit jittery about appearing on podcasts. But don't worry about it. It's fine. It's a great interview. Um, Edward is going to be my guest on this podcast on Monday. Edward is a writer of science fiction adventures and a very long time listener and participator in this podcast, for which I'm very grateful, Edward. Uh, we had a great chat. Uh, it's interesting, you know, I've had a couple of Skype lines uh, in the UK recently that have been terrible. Uh, and Edward was in Canada and it was great. No problems at all. Isn't it funny how Skype works sometimes? Anyhow, uh, great interview. Uh, lovely to speak to Edwin. He's going to be on the show, episode number 131 of the Self-Publishing Journeys podcast. That's going to be released on Monday, the 10th of December. I will spend, I barely talked about this. I should have told you. My main project at the moment is that I'm working through so many lies. So I think by the time I speak to you next week, I will be done. I will have worked through so many lies and it will be ready to go to an editor in the new year, ready then to be the beginning of that rapid release strategy that I, I'm not quite sure when I'm going to drop it yet. It's, there's a few ifs, buts and babies about 2019 still up in the air, but um, I will confirm them with you as soon as I can. Um, so hopefully that's what I'll be reporting to you in next week's diary update and I'll be dropping that one into the feed 
a week from now, a week on Saturday. In the meantime, whatever you're doing with your writing, I hope you have a fantastic week and I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for listening to Paul's Podcast Diary. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days. Until then, we hope you have a great week of writing.